ब्रह्मा गुरुर्विष्णु गुरुदेव महेश्वर गुरु साक्षात्ब्रह्मा तस्म श्री गुरव नम आई भाव टू दैर इन्फिनिट गुरु ही इज ब्रह्मा ही इज विष्णु ही इज शिवा ही इज एवरीथिंग द गुरु इज गॉड नॉट दैट मैन द गुरु इज एन एक्सप्रेशन ऑफ द इन्फिनिट and the thing that he came to help us understand is that we too are expressions of that infinite there is only one reality and you are that but not you and your ego that's the difficult thing on the spiritual path to realize who you are to realize that you are not this person this personality you are the infinite one acting through that personality like the illustration that i've used before the one sun shining on many little slivers of glass seeming each in each one to be an individual burst of light but it's all the one sun once the sun goes down those glasses those bits of glass lose all color and once god is no longer in you or i should say if you lose attunement with him you will shine less the more you have of him the more you will shine in fact all of us are rather like stained glass windows and you know when the sun is down just at dawn when there's sort of a dim light outside and when there's no light of course all the windows look look black but when the sun is is not there but the light is there the light may be so dim that blues and greens or reds whatever they are they may not be easy to distinguish one from another they may all look sort of a a gray color when the sun comes up it's strong and illuminates every color so that the greens are definitely green the blues are brilliantly blue and so it is very interestingly that many times when people advance spiritually they sometimes manifest qualities that you wouldn't think a spiritual person would have like anger or jealousy or qualities i i used to wonder at this but then i realized that it's the sun of divine power being developed in them and illuminating all their personalities and so it is that many times on the path you almost get there but that one quality comes out that is uh, a detriment and you don't see it and catch it in time and you can be taken away it's too bad but that's the way it is listen it's it takes a long time to find him but once you do then you suddenly realize that all those incarnations that you were wandering all the suffering all the disappointments they're all resolved you discover that you are as the scriptures say brahman aham brahmasmi you are that infinite now one of the things that my guru had me learn I think it was because he told me too that I was my one of my well he called it my great fault used to be doubts and I went through a period where I just had to fight these things they were coming up from the subconscious so that if he had said it's raining in San Diego this instinct would have been would have come up in my mind yeah, I bet it's I bet the sun's shining why I hated myself for it 
but it was a samskar. It was something inside that had to become, had to come out. I found the cure for it, love. I loved him, and therefore I realized none of these things matter. I realized he loved me. What could be more important than the fact that God and Guru love you? And they do. And the more I held on to that, the more I found that indeed, you know when you break a bone and it heals, that part where the bone heals is stronger than any other part. A redwood tree, when the wind blows on it, blows it in a certain direction, it develops a certain wood, compressed wood, which is much stronger than the actual wood of the tree. And this helps to boost, boost that uh, tree so it won't fall completely. They should learn somehow to do that with the Tower of Pisa, shouldn't they? The, the thing is that when you have a fault and you overcome it, often that becomes a virtue. But one way, and this is what my guru did, you see, I used to wonder, why did he want me to lecture? Why did he have me teaching when his most advanced disciples, Rajashi Janakananda, Sister Gyanamata, he didn't have them teaching. They had much more to give than I do. I realized that in teaching, it also helped me to overcome or to affirm, I should say, because uh, also, and I found this a great advantage in teaching, there isn't a doubt that I've ever had voice to me that hasn't already been in my mind. But now I can face these things and not worry about them. They don't shake me. I realize there's got to be an explanation. But I'm not afraid of facing those things. I don't think the way to overcome doubt is to fear to ask questions. Ask them. But you have to know that there is an answer to some. And so, one of the things in teaching is to know how to teach. And the saying, you would think that I'm leading up to a saying on doubt, I'm not. But I am leading up to a saying on lecturing. Because that's the job he gave me to do. He told me to write, edit, lecture. I said to him once, sir, I don't want to lecture. He said, you'd better learn to like it. It's what you have to do in this life. But I've found out over the years that it's a, it's a good thing. If you can help somebody to overcome his doubts, you're expiating your own karma of doubts. If you can help to clarify something for somebody else, you're helping to clarify it for yourself. And in fact, God has given me a certain grace in this regard that uh, Often, there will be a question that I won't have the answer to. Then somebody asks me that question, maybe after years. And the moment he asks me, I have the answer. It's as if my guru was there subtly helping, guiding my thoughts. But I, I sort of smile when I see most people lecture. First of all, because they're not really lecturing to people. It's not, lecturing ought to be a kind of conversation where you can feel that there's another person there that you're talking to. Most of them talk at. And often they will, they will try to convince themselves. But it's the other people you need to convince. Lecturing is a kind of conversation. I remember, oh, it was nearly 30 years ago. I was up in Vancouver, Canada. And there was a, 
large convention I had been invited to lecture at, and at least a thousand people in the audience. And um, some young brash fellow stood up and said, is this just going to be a monologue or are we going to be able to talk? I said, listen, there are a thousand people here. If you talk, I'll be talking to you. I don't like to talk to one person out of a thousand. The answers I give try to take into account what everybody may be asking. But it would be absurd for me to get into a particular discussion with one person with all these people waiting. And so it isn't a monologue at all. And this is what I've seen. That, in fact, for many years, what I used to do before giving a lecture would sit maybe in a broom closet or if there was an adjust adjoining room where I could be quiet to sit in meditation. But I didn't only call on God to help me or my guru to help me. I also tried to feel the consciousness of the people as they were coming in and feel what their needs were. And there might be a story or a point that I had been, I'd been thinking of making which would not be addressing those people. And as I tuned in like that, I found more and more that I could actually feel what they needed. Well, then I had to adjust my talk to those needs. There's nothing worse than, well, just an example. If you're talking to a, a group of bankers using fisherman terminology, you, used to, you have to use banker's terminology. Whichever group you're talking to, talk with that group. Don't just talk at them or it isn't even enough to talk to them. Well, in that way, I have found that it doesn't help really to prepare too much. In fact, I don't prepare my talks. And I've seen that I can talk much better that way. When I was put in charge of the church of my guru's organization in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, I'd been lecturing already for seven years, but I thought, well, now I really have to take it seriously. And so I prepared my talks carefully. Then came a Sunday when I hadn't had time to prepare at all. More people afterwards said, oh, they loved that talk. I thought, well, that's funny. I didn't prepare it. And this happened once or twice more where I hadn't had time to prepare. And more people liked it than usual. So I thought, well, if they're going to like it when I don't prepare more than when I do prepare, why go to all the trouble of preparing? So maybe it's only laziness that keeps me from preparing, but the truth is I know that when I can talk spontaneously, I can address the moment. Now, what is that moment? Where is that audience? I'm talking to a camera, aren't I? But I see you through that camera. That is to say, mentally, I think of you. And I don't think of you as an audience. I think of you as one person. And I think of what kind of questions would be in your mind and how can I help you to answer those questions. It's more difficult to tune in to an audience in that way. But fortunately, even that, I've had people say, well, you, you were answering my questions. When it's a live audience, many times people have said to me, oh, I had, question, I had a question in my mind, but now I, you've resolved it by your talk. Well, I'm not a mind reader. I don't know where that information comes from. I really don't. But somehow it is there. And my guru taught us intuitive lecturing. You, if you have to teach people, if you have to speak, 
Try to learn that quality of intuition. Don't rely only on the intellect. You need to combine heart and mind, and the two must be brought into a flow of intuition if you are really to understand how to speak in such a way that you can reach your audience. Let me read you. This was the instruction he gave me when he first had me lecturing in public. First, he said, meditate deeply. Then, holding on to your inner calmness, reflect on what you might say. Write down your ideas. Add a few illustrative examples, including a funny story or two, because when people laugh, they relax and become more receptive. End your talk with a story from the lessons, and then put your notes away and forget about them. When you, later, when, you, when you lecture later, ask the spirit to flow through you. Remember a few salient points from your outline, but otherwise let the words flow from the inner source of spirit. Finally, never speak from ego consciousness, or you won't feel inspired. What you need to do is ask God to talk through you. Well, there was one talk I remember, it was a Sunday morning, it was a sermon I was giving in the Hollywood church. And I remembered him saying that you should let God speak through you. Don't think from your, don't speak from your own ego. And so I thought, well, if God is really, if the way is to let God speak through me, maybe the way is to simply stop speaking and let him speak. Well, I thought it was a worthy experiment. I thought, I'm glad I did it. But it was pretty ridiculous. I stood there and waited and waited. Two minutes when you're up there on a lecture platform and everybody's standing there waiting for you to go on talking it is a long time. For me, it didn't matter. I, I, uh, I've never been nervous speaking. I think basically because I think that if I'm a fool, what does it matter if everybody finds out about it? And if I know what I'm saying, then they're the ones who are the fools if they don't understand. So what does it matter? Just work to please God. But I have seen that the more I tune in, the more he does use me, not by giving me, not by moving my lips and my tongue, but by giving me thoughts, by helping me to understand. So it is that when somebody asks me a question sometimes, and I'll say, well, I don't really know. The moment I say I don't know, I do know. And I've tried to figure out, now, why could that be? I think it's because when I relax, I'm not straining for an answer, trying to reach for an answer. And in that way, I, my mind is calmed, and that idea is able to be put in my mind. Because I always think of my guru, and I always ask him to guide me, and he does. Everything that I've done in building a community and writing books it's all he doing it. Uh, listen, I'm not, I'm not uh, trying to say anything unnatural, but the truth is that when I was trying to be a writer before I met him, well, I finally had to give up because I felt I didn't have anything to say. But I'll remember, I remember how hard it was to get even one sentence down on a page. I gave up writing. I thought, why should I flood the world with my own ignorance? And then, when I met my guru and he told me to speak, it was a bit of a struggle for me, as I've said before. 
But I found the more I tuned in, the more those answers were given to me. Mind you, God can do that with you. But if you don't, if you bind yourself too much to a predetermined action of direction, then you'll find that you become stifled. I remember I was in a shop in Los Angeles. I was buying a suit of clothes. And uh, the salesman was so uptight, it was painful. It just, uh, um, I, I was trying to help him. Finally, I agreed that I, would want, I wanted this suit. And he said, I've got to get you a receipt. I said, no, don't bother about a receipt. I've got to give you a receipt. The poor fellow, I just, I felt all right. I'll wait for that receipt. It didn't matter a thing to me. But the poor fellow was so uptight. Well, if you can overcome that feeling of being uptight, of being tense about what you're doing, and much of what uh, causes that, I was in a restaurant recently in Holland. Now, the Dutch people are very spiritual, many of them, but they do have a certain rigorous, rule-bound attitude about everything. And I went to this restaurant, and I'm a vegetarian, and it was uh, in the evening, and so I asked them if they would make me an omelette because I saw nothing uh, that had meat on it. Yes, I do eat eggs sometimes. And uh, I asked them if they could give me an omelette. She said, omelettes are on the breakfast menu. Well, any chef could make an omelette, for God's sake. But I said, well, um, I w can't you just tell them to make an omelette anyway? Breakfast serves omelettes. We don't serve omelettes in the evening. She was so uptight about it, I thought, oh, never mind. So I just had dessert and went to another restaurant and had an omelette. Well, the thing is that people get so fixed in their own thoughts, their own directions. Don't be like that. Be fluid. Let life go. Remember, ultimately, life is a dream. Nothing is real. It's all God. Joy to you. is a dream, time like a stream, carries our burdens away. Never despair, joys everywhere, love can befriend you today. Free from all care, like birds on the Soar above griefs and worries, seek joy and be gay. Often on earth, things of great worth, worldly ambitions defy. Sometimes a friend helps us ascend. From life's cares to the sky. Love is a star, though shining afar. It can guide us and help us toward light to draw nigh. Life is a dream, time like a stream carries our burdens away. Joys everywhere, 
from all care like birds on the air. Soar above griefs and worries, seek joy and be Ascend up from life's cares to the sky. Love is a star, though shining afar. It can guide us and help us toward light to draw nigh. Love is a star, though shining. 